there was a point in time where I was just having a really hard time during the pandemic. I had a really good friend, one of my best friends, pass away, and I was just kind of in a negative space. And Tommy, one day, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> one of the wisest people I know, by the way, comes up to me and he's like, yo, dude, why are you down today? Why are you being negative? He was like, this time, this moment in time, the fact that we get to come to a bar, we get to make drinks for each other, focus on the things that we love doing, which this is what we love in the yeah. class. Like, we love hospitality too, but ultimately, like, the reason why there's so much attention to detail in these cocktails is because we enjoy having good drinks. From Studio Pod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story, why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season will center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking. Canned cocktails, not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, check them out, goldenrulespirits.com. Located at the intersection of Church and 14th Street, Last Rites is a modern tiki bar that opened in San Francisco's DeBose Triangle neighborhood in June of 2018. Now, when you think of tiki drinks, your mind may go in a lot of different directions. Fruity drinks, tropical drinks, lots of sugar, blended cocktails, and there's no shortage of prominent bars in San Francisco that have attempted to perfect the tiki craft. Knob Hill's Tonga Room and Hayes Valley's Smuggler's Cove are just a couple of well-known examples. So as a newer bar on the scene, Last Rites had to deal with the challenge of meeting well-established expectations while charting its own path. One surefire way to announce your presence, an eye-popping physical layout. Last Rites does an incredible job of grabbing your attention from the moment you walk through the doors. Upon entering, it's almost as if you entered an abandoned plane that crash-landed in a dense, exotic jungle. It's as if you've been transplanted into an adventure. You're greeted with some parts of an old airplane, There are airplane seats at the bar, banyan trees, vine-encrusted ruins and skulls everywhere you look. It's exactly the adventurous vibe they were going for. The Last Rites team completely nailed it. We pick up our interview with the owner of Last Rites, Justin Liu, as he tells us about the idea behind the bar and the vibe he was going for. When we got this space, I knew I wanted to do something that was sort of tiki-inspired. My ex-business partner and I, we love the cocktails, the, the tiki-style cocktails. But we, the genre, at least for me, just didn't really represent what I'm about. And I felt, you know, tiki has such this this sort of history to it. And it just, it wasn't us. So I wanted to create something that was a little more dark, a little more ominous, leaning into more adventure. But also something that we could pivot with the space 
it kind of creates this experience when you come in, but it's kind of like choose your own adventure sort of thing. And in that choose your own adventure sort of vein, you know, we can do tropical style cocktails, but we can, we also kill it in the um, contemporary forefront sort of thing, classics, the whole lot. And we, we partnered with uh, Noir Film Fest a couple years ago and we did like live jazz in here. We've done metal nights. So it's kind of, again, choose your own adventure. That's what we do. I want to go back to the vibe and the ambiance here because I'm really just curious on like how you source this type of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this skull is what, 10 feet tall? Yeah. Roughly. And then you got the inside of the plane behind the bar. Like, where do you even start to like, so you're a graphic designer, so clearly you had an idea in your head, but how do you even get going? Okay, I want to have a giant skull or the, the, the tree when you walk in. Like, where do you even go to find stuff like that? Well, we worked with this design builder who did a lot of Burning Man stuff. So I had this idea, you know, for this narrative. It was a narrative. We really wanted everything to be cohesive. So we started there. You know, I know I wanted to do the plane. So it was just a lot of searching of where we could get plane parts. There's this place in the high desert, which is where, like, if you're doing a movie, that's where you rent a plane or buy pieces of a plane. I don't exactly know how they acquire all of it, but they seem to acquire everything. So we went up there and sourced some of these pieces, but then we kind of interviewed and a lot of different people who were bidding on the project. And we went with a person that really understood and specifically used the word narrative. And then we had a great synergy with him. These skulls, we were able to bring on this gentleman named Marco Cochran, who did these really big uh, sculptures, really quite well-known sculptures at Burning Man, the, the ones with the, you know, the, the ladies. Yeah, that one was featured in Hayes Valley. Okay. So we actually, you know, created, he did these skulls for us. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So if you had to like give like an adjective or two or about like what's the experience you want when someone walks into the door for the first time or when they leave, like wh- what are you trying to get at? Mm-hmm. What is the goal? I mean, immersive, seamless. We've been called an immersion bar and we've been called an adventure bar. So that's kind of the adjectives that we're looking for people to experience. This space creates exactly what we want people to feel and and have. We wanted guests to come in and have this immersive experience without any pretension and to have really great hospitality that's expected from, you know, tiki style sort of bars, you know, something a little more interactive at the table, lighting stuff on fire, burning cinnamon, that whole lot. So, you know, you have all these little elements, but not really naming it as a specific genre. Let's talk about the name Last Rites and where you came up with that. Because Last Rites, I did some digging is more of like a, it's, it's a religious term. Right. Right. So that wasn't the intention. For yeah, us. I was going to say, yeah, yeah this is a little bit different from when yeah. you walk in here. So w- where did it come from? I mean, so there's a Last Rites cocktail. It's kind of a notorious tiki cocktail that puts you on your ass. I'd like to say it's from that, but we really just wanted to choose something that was sort of ominous. Like if you got captured in a jungle and you were given your Last Rites. So it was something to that effect. It's just something that matched the theme. You don't need to listen to this podcast to know that in March of 2020, life as we previously knew it came to a grinding halt. The COVID-19 pandemic brought a number of unprecedented challenges to everyone in all phases of life. In the hospitality industry, the effects of the pandemic were particularly momentous. In a blink of an eye, bars and restaurants closed down and revenue quickly dropped to zero. The situation clearly brought a slew of challenges for any business, no matter how big or small. 
but with these challenges also came time for redirection and opportunity. For Last Rites, which opened in mid-2018, the pandemic hit only about a year and a half into his existence as a business. So we wanted to talk to Justin about how he was able to stay afloat without years of tenure under their belt. Let's go and talk about just the pandemic for a second. Sure. Obviously, everybody, especially in your industry, were affected mm-hmm. by it, especially here in San Francisco. When was the first, like, oh, shit, we got to figure something out or oh, shit moment, like we have to close down and we don't know what's happening next? I mean, same with everybody, March. Yeah. Yeah, March 2020. I got a little bit of a heads up. So my business partner and I are both Chinese. He has a lot of family in China. So he was kind of telling us that this was coming. And because it seemed so, it seemed far-fetched. It didn't seem like it was going to hit the U.S., especially in the way that it did. So I I heard it, but I, I didn't totally believe it. And then it happened. And then I very much said, oh, shit, in a lot of other words, out loud. And what we did, we looked at the numbers, figured out like what we had in the bank, what we could do, how we could sustain. And we wanted to give the the staff an opportunity to get on unemployment as quickly as possible and get those benefits. So, I mean, we laid off everybody pretty quick at both places. I also own a restaurant called Horse Feather. So we had to do that with both. And then we, for this space, we went into hibernation. Got it. So it was almost over a full year that you guys were completely shut down. So there was nothing, no adversity, no like pop-up shops here or there. You just said, we got to shut it down. We did some pop-ups. We did most of it out of Horse Feather because there's an active kitchen there and that place we had shut down for maybe a month or two, right when we were allowed to do outdoor dining. We already had an atrium, so we opened right back up. And what I was able to do is find some of the staff that still wanted to work and bring them over to Horse Feather and incorporate them with some of the existing staff. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to have Colin and Tommy who kept the brand alive through the closure. We did do Last Rites pop-ups on some Sundays. And then they did some offsite events as well. So it kept some life in it and kept the kept the juices flowing, that creativity happening, which is, you know, you'll you'll be going through a little bit of the menu to see that. Yeah. And so and that's a that's a nice point there because even though it was awful and we all had to shut down and you guys being in this, you had to lay people off. Now you have an opportunity to do almost a second grand opening, if you will. I don't know what you guys are calling it or but what are the plans going forward for anybody who hasn't been here or knows now from listening that you guys are back open, what is the goal going forward? I know you guys may be switching up the menu from what it was previously. So what's the approach? Yeah. So as I had mentioned, Colin and Tommy have been sort of workshopping this menu since we closed. So, I mean, our plan is, and we've already had uh, launched that new menu with a little bit of a different approach. And again, they'll explain it much better than I can. But as far as operationally, you know, we've started off with reservations just to kind of keep capacity limited because we have a wonderful staff and a lot of them are new faces. Some of them are pre-pandemic faces, but I want to give them space to, to get comfortable and to, you know, really understand what we're doing here and be able to translate that to the guests. And I think opening the door and flooding them with people is counterproductive. We've been closed for over a year. What's three more weeks? So we're doing reservations now, no standing, no bar seating, but, you know, come June 15th, if those restrictions get lifted, we will be easing into opening the doors for full capacity and, you know, getting back to what we're good at. 
We recorded this with Justin in early June before San Francisco had eased pandemic restrictions and allowed establishments to reopen their doors at full capacity. You guys have done a good job, a great job, creating a very eclectic, interesting, ominous vibe. When I walked in here for the first time, I was like, holy shit, this is just an experience for sure. You come in here and you know what you're getting with the with the plane and the skulls and everything. So good luck going forward and opening back up. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're going to be pumping this out to everybody out there so they can get in here. And is there anything else that you want to say to anybody or any future patron or anyone listening about Last Rites that we may have missed? No, I mean, I, I want to thank all the, the supporters that have been here that stuck with us through the closure. I mean, you know, when we reopened our first day, we had all the Realm Club members come back and they all came back. And every regular that's that was here before, they've all visited multiple times just in the last week. So I, I really want to thank all this, the supporters of the brand and the people that, you know, continue to love us. So taking a quick break to talk about Golden Rule Spirits. We recently had a happy hour event here at the studio, and we were lucky enough to have Golden Rule sponsor an event by bringing a ton of their margaritas and their old fashions in the can, and everybody loved them. They went so quick. People were taking them home with them, put them in their purses, put them in their backpacks. But of course, at the event, they were cracking these open, put them on ice, and everybody could not believe how tasty they are. Literally, these guys, Hunter and James, owners of Golden Rule, have put together something amazing. If you want to try their cocktails, which you absolutely should, make sure you go to goldenrulespirits.com to find out where you can get them. They're pretty much at every corner store in San Francisco. Just look out for those small gold and teal cans, pop those bad boys open, throw them on some ice, take them on the go. These things are electric. After chatting with Justin, we sat down with Colin and Tommy, who run the bar program at Last Rites. We wanted to sit down with them to learn more about how the drinks themselves are concocted and crafted. How does a drink from Last Rites go from conception to actually being on the menu? What type of people need to work together to make this happen? We pick up the conversation with a bit of their history as bartenders and how they started to conceptualize the cocktail menu. Do you guys have a history in tropical drinks? Listen, when I look at the menu, I'm so overwhelmed. I have a Sure, I have a tropical drinks book at my house and I'm trying to make it. I'm like, I don't even know where I get half this shit. How do you guys know? Like, where do the ideas come from? Like, if you're the idea guy or you're like thinking outside the box, like, are you imagining the palette, your palette with the drinks? Like, where do you get started? I've had a lot of experience working in some very high end cocktail bars here in San Francisco. I've had the luxury of being able to work with some of the most talented people in the world, in my opinion. And basically, a lot of that just comes from having the opportunity to watch them do things and then also adapt things to what I would want to do creatively. A lot of it is us trying, there was like a, for instance, there was a point in time where Tommy would just go to different markets and bring in fresh fruit and we would just taste fruit together and talk about like how it hit our palates differently, what would go well with it. I do have a large background in tropical cocktails. I helped open Zombie Village here in San Francisco and was the lead bartender there underneath Doc Parks and Samuel Miller. So I learned a lot there. For a short period of time, I worked with Kevin Dietrich at Pacific Cocktail Haven, learned a lot from him. And then I guess the the next biggest thing was uh, when I was at 15 Romolo and I learned a lot about Sherry. And Sherry and Tiki Cocktails, are they're best friends, they're kindred spirits. So I always had an affinity for wanting to learn about rum and wanting to learn more about tropical cocktails. And this place really let me spread my wings and kind of fly. Yeah, I definitely do not have <laughs> an extensive background <laughs> in tropical cocktails, but I kind of feel like that's why our dynamic works so well together. I worked for a lot of people that were very minimalistic and 
four ingredient total cocktails, like very classical, but mainly about sourcing spirits. So like you can use a lot of a spirit when it's really good in a cocktail and you don't need so much other things around it. And I think that's kind of why he like comes up with all the stuff and I kind of condense it and bring it back down. Yeah, for sure. So some of the drinks will like basically sit down and talk about it and we'll be like, well, like we have this void in the menu, right? When we think about our consumer basis and like what we need to do in order to be a well-rounded or eclectic bar program, we'll sit there and we'll talk about it. And Tommy will spit out like a classic and be like, yo, what if we did like a remember the main or what if we did like, you know, a stinger or what if, you know, different like classics and basically like trying to identify how we can then make that a last rights beverage. Right. Evolving that. Exactly. Like applying the ethos of what this place is or what the cocktail program was when Savon and Susan kind of created the first menu here. What can we do to keep honoring that system, but at the same time elevate and evolve? By the way, Savon and Susan were on the opening team at last rights. Savon has moved on and Susan still remains as the bar manager. The idea of just like the concept you had mentioned, Colin, that beforehand there is a notebook worth of ideas. How do you pare that down to what do you guys have on menu 12 right now? Yeah, 16. 16, 16. So how do you pair a notebook worth of ideas that are just concepts to what's going to be in, I know we talked a little bit about like making it like it can be repeatable, but like obviously there's going to be some sort of happy medium. Like where do you guys land? To just to be like super honest and clairvoyant about the situation, like we were pressed for time and we had a commitment to get this place open and running so that the people who allow us to work here and write our paychecks and like let us live our lives, we needed to do what they needed in order to be able to have a functioning business. So that was the first thing that made a division. Yeah. Necessity definitely played a huge role, I think, in building up this first menu, but also in general when you're building a menu, it has to appeal to the many different moods of a drinker, basically. And I think we did a good job of finding which ideas from our notebook of ideas fit a wide array of styles of drinkers and moods of drinkers. Yeah. I mean, we used to have an issue with guests here that they would come in and they'd have like one to two cocktails and then they'd split. And so like basically like one of the ideas when we isolated that and when we wanted to like correct that issue or is what we saw as an issue or I saw as an issue and speak for myself was creating a more diverse menu and something that wasn't so focused in coconut or, you know, heavy citrus. So we have a couple of really dope drinks that don't have any citrus in them at all, but are still rum focused and are still tropically oriented depending on what you're considering tropical. With us, we wanted to consider tropical as basically an ingredient that wasn't around our area. So we have like this really dope highball that uses 100% Japanese ingredients. Well, I shouldn't say fever, fever tree is not yeah. Japanese, but it has a yuzu in it. It's kombu and a couple Japanese distillates, one being roku, which is a really dope gin from the Centauri portfolio, and haku, which is their vodka. And then some beautiful, like, yuzu sparkling water over the top of that. And it is a savory highball. And it's made in the methodology of, like, what a Japanese highball would it's be. It's true to a highball. What is that one called? It's called the Liquid Swords. The Liquid Swords. Which is a Wu-Tang reference. Yep. Wu-Tang. Jizza. Protect your neck. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you came in here and you didn't want to consume something that had any citrus or like heavily like sugared things, like we don't make sweet cocktails here, we make balanced drinks, but that is definitely a far, far-fetched idea from what you would expect to have here. And I would throw it in like if I would have a slim pickings and let's say like I get palate fatigue, you know, like I get too much citrus, I get too much sugar and I'm over it. My first reaction would probably be like, look at the menu again. If I don't see something I like, I would probably get up and go to another bar. If I was to see that on the menu, I'd be like, oh, this sounds crazy. I need to try that. Yeah. It goes back to the, the many moods of drinking. Yeah. Basically. You're going to have people that want to just come in and drink a vodka cocktail. Colin and Tommy prioritize a few different things when coming up with the cocktails. They want the drinks to, of course, be delicious, but they also want it to maintain a variety of profiles to appeal to a broad customer base, as well as keep the patrons around for more than one drink. They also need them to be reproducible. They know how frustrating it can be for a customer to wait around for a drink, even if it requires the care that they put into every single one of their cocktails. So to do this, they aim for efficiency without sacrificing taste. But one hot tip for any future patron out there, if you do find yourself waiting around a little bit longer than you want for a round, the folks at Last Rites might have a little something waiting for you. One of the things that we do here, we have manzanilla sherry on tap. So if a guest is waiting too long for a beverage and we feel like as a bartender or as a manager that someone has been waiting too long, like their experience isn't going well, we're going to throw them a splash of something. You know, we're going to make sure that they get something in their hand so that if we think that they might already be starting off with some negativity in the air. That's qualmed, that's crushed, and they're going to be nothing but happy because they got a gift from the house. Now for one of the more fun parts of the entire interview. In the middle of our chat, Tommy and Colin took a quick break to whip us up one of their favorite cocktails. Here we're going to be drinking the Slim Pickens. Okay, so this is uh, the Slim Pickens. So let's talk about where it came from, the start of it, the story behind it, and how it got to the menu. So it's a Dr. Funk slash Dr. Wong riff. And <laughs> the reason that it's called Slim Pickens now is a reference to Dr. Strangelove. So that conceptually is how the name came around. But it is an absinthe forward, eye-opener, cocktail. Now, when you say eye-opener, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. Let's, let's talk about that. Eye-opener as a term is just a callback to when everyone was an alcoholic, essentially. And if you're tired in the morning, it's like, hey, here's some absinthe. Wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So during the pop-up series, we like wanted to focus on like ingredients that we had in-house. Obviously, the bar wasn't open. We weren't creating revenue. So we wanted to be able to manipulate things that we already had around and build from those. So this cocktail started with a previous recipe that we had, uh, a batch of a couple different ingredients together, and we repurposed that into what this drink is now. So it's a Jamaican rum is at the heart of this cocktail. Super, super funky, fun Jamaican rum. Very high ester, very fruit forward. We paired that with a little bit of allspice dram, spice that up, support those fruit notes, make it more complex. A little bit of like soft citrus, some lemon juice. We didn't want to use lime, add more bitterness and kind of lemon just gave the cocktail like a little bit more diversity. From there, we decided to incorporate a syrup that's called Fashionola, which is originally was used by Pat O'Brien in the hurricane in New Orleans and is kind of like a secret, like tiki syrup. Ours definitely is not super secret. It's a seasonal Fashionola, so we want to use things that we can buy locally from our farmers. Some of those things that we can't source locally, like passion fruit and mango, they're too expensive. So we do buy 
purees from different companies. And we try and make sure that those are as organic as possible. But we do combine that with lots of local fresh fruit. And then more Jamaican rum that we blend in-house. So four different Jamaican rums to be exact that we blend together to achieve the flavor profiles that we want out of one base spirit. And that ties back into what we kind of devised during the pandemic as like the base for what our program would be. So what we wanted to do is like, if you were coming in off the street and you were like, you know what? I love having certain cocktails. I love a 151 swizzle. How do we make you have something that's proprietary here that is what you want? You know, so how do we make our 151 swizzle differently? Well, the base spirit for that is 151 proof rum. Traditionally, not a lot of flavor profile there. Just straight up ethanol. Kick you in the pants, get going, kind of rum. We wanted to have fun with that. We wanted to make sure that the guest was also going to get some flavor profile. And at the same time, we also want to make drinks the way that we want to make them. Not to be saying that other people don't know how to make cocktails, but if you're at our house, we want to be making our house's drinks. So we decided to blend this Jamaican rum, blend it with some other ingredients we had in house, and then lots and lots of absinthe. And I mean, how do you like it? I enjoy it a lot. Like it's very forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot here. Yeah. I wouldn't call it slim pickings. I feel like there's a, there's a lot of pickings in this well, one. <laughs> have you seen Doctor Strangelove? I have not. It's okay. The, name of okay. the actor yeah. who's the guy that rides the atomic bomb down yeah. the to plane. the end of the world. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's a Stanley Kubrick film. You should yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. Okay. check it out. Yeah. Okay. The thing about these uh, the cocktails you guys make here is that you have the ingredients on there, but you don't say how much of what is on there. You know what I mean? Like when you're making it at home, you have to, you need to know what you're, what you're doing. Totally. When you're here, you can have like two or three of these and you're, you're on your ass. You're on your ass. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't notice. Like it, I, but, yeah. I'm a pretty big guy myself and I am like, I'm, you definitely feel it for sure. <laughs> so you guys made this during the pandemic, right? There's a little bit more, I guess, I don't want to say it's emotional, but there's a little bit more sentiment. Maybe don't tell me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but a little bit more sentiment behind this because it's something that you guys created in a time that was like really tough for the bar and probably for both of you in your lives. Somewhat. I mean, like, it's funny, like it, it was definitely a tough time, but I think this drink kind of represents a happy moment in that like we got to get together and make all of these amazing drinks for various pop-ups. And we spent so much time together doing this that like it's a little piece of joy that came out of the pandemic basically there was a point in time where i was i was having a really hard time during the pandemic i had a really good friend one of my best friends pass away and i was just kind of in a negative space and tommy one day in his infinite wisdom <laughs> one of the wisest people i know by the way comes up to me and he's like, yo, dude, why are you down today? What's Why are you being negative? He was like, this time, this moment in time, the fact that we get to come to a bar, we get to make drinks for each other, focus on the things that we love doing, which this is what we love in the yeah. class. Like we love hospitality too, but ultimately like the reason why there's so much attention to detail in these cocktails is because we enjoy having good drinks. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the first times I've gotten to sit and drink this and I love it. Now that we've honed in on the Slim Pickens, I decided to put them on the spot with a tough question. What was their favorite drink on the menu? What's your guys' favorite current program? What's your favorite cocktail on there? Man. Get one. That's hard. I'm going to go with the Mossetieri. That's, that's my favorite drink. Mine might be the Slim Pickens right now. Yeah. For now. 
Because you just finished it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's delicious? Again, the many moods of drinking yeah. is what I would say. Yeah. If I if I was in the mood for a martini, Mazzatene would be my favorite. I think when I came in the other day, Bahama Trauma was pretty good. That was very, very good. That is the top-selling drink on the menu right Is it now. really? By the way, I also asked Justin the same question, and his favorite was the bar's namesake, The Last Rites. So if you're counting at home, between the four of us, we chose four different drinks. This is our last call segment. And this is something that we're going to be asking everybody throughout the series and the show. And it is, what is the most outrageous, crazy, out there story that you've had to experience at Last Rites Bar with a patron? You want me to go first? Yeah, car- cartwheel, right? Okay. No, car- Carlos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we had this cat who, uh, he worked, where he's a chef and was a, like, would frequent our establishment. So, uh, yeah, he's a chef, really good guy, it's like sweetheart. Came in here very frequently, usually Sundays and Mondays. I believe this was a Sunday. And I saw him here. I was there early off that night. Tommy would close and I would open the bar. And so uh, I saw him here hanging out, having a good time with a bunch of friends. And I watched him leave. I was like, all right, cool. Like, that's dope. Have a good evening, Carlos. Be on your merry way. I hope you, you and your friends have a good night. 10 p.m. rolls around and it's very quiet for us at this point in time. So I'm like, yo, I'm going to wrap up, start shutting my station down do whatever admin work I need to do and and bounce out and go home and go to sleep. So I go to bed and I wake up to a phone call (laughs) at like two in the morning from Carlos. And that's where I'm going to hand the ball off to uh, (laughs) to my good friend over here. So let me just fill in. Carlos was here and then he went up the street to the cash show to another bar because he told me, he was like, I'm going out there with my friends and like, we're going to go out there and have some fun. He came in like a little bit after Colin had left at 10 and I was like, oh, nice to see you again. And, like, I made him one drink. And then I went to the bathroom and came back. And, like, I saw him on his way to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, you feel okay? And he's like, yeah. He was in a great mood. This is at, like, 1030 or something or, like, 11. So I go and I, I'm the only one here now because Colin's left. And so I'm bartending for everyone that's left in the place. And then I close. Like, literally, it's... I kick everyone out and I close the bar and I'm completely done. And I go and I lock (laughs) everything up thinking in my mind that like, Oh, I had seen Carlos and like, I saw him go to the bathroom. I don't remember him leaving, but like he must've left. And I closed everything up completely, turned all the lights off and locked the door behind me. And Carlos had gone to the bathroom and had fallen asleep in there. (laughs) And so he called Colin at it was like three, three or four in the morning. In the, yeah, three thirty in the morning. It was like, "Hey, I'm locked inside of Last Rites, <laughs> but don't worry, I'm gonna go up and knock on the neighbor's door." He was he was like, "Yo, I'm like trapped in the building. Don't worry, I'm not gonna steal anything." I'm like, "Dude, I, I know you're not gonna yeah. steal anything." Yeah. Also, I'm watching you on camera right now. <laughs> like, you don't think that I? Uh, you don't know who you're talking to right now. Anyways. He like calls me. He's like, "Yo, I can't get out of here. Like the back door's locked, the front door's the front locked. Door's locked. Everything's I'm locked. locked in." He's like, "Can you can you come let me out?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like I'll be there in like 30 minutes. I gotta like get dressed <laughs> and get a car and like wake up." And so he calls me back like 15 minutes later, and he's like, "Hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it." <laughs> and I'm like, "What? What?" He's like, "Yeah, well, like I I went through the back and like I went upstairs and I like knocked on someone's door." And like they let me out, 
And I was just like, no. He had to do that because I no. locked the back door. So as soon as he went out the back. It locked behind him. He mm. was stuck in the patio. Yeah. So, and so his only recourse was to go knock on the neighbor's door. There's a stairway back there, and it leads right up to the back door of yeah, our neighbors apartments. above us. Yeah. So the people that live above. Wow. Yes. Luckily, Luckily, they're all really dope yes. bartenders. They, oh, they're, they're all they industry, it. and they're all very cool. I was immediately expecting a call from daddy, meaning Justin. Justin. Yeah. Then, A, <laughs> I was going to get chewed out, and B, that I was going to have to protect Tommy. Yeah. Because... I'm protecting Tommy. Yeah. And uh, luckily that didn't happen. <laughs> luckily nothing happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> but Justin's aware of the story. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. he knows now. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, <laughs> no, he uh, I, I think I filled him in a week, like, week or two later. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you want to hear something funny? <laughs> Temperature check. Is he in yeah. a good mood? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not mad at me right now. Okay. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about this. But yeah, that was probably the craziest thing that I've experienced and I wasn't even at the bar. That's unique. That's a unique story. Yeah. yeah. One of the biggest pleasures in conducting these interviews has been to learn about the unique ways in which bars create communities with their patrons and regular customers. Each bar has its own way of doing things and making long-lasting connections, and it's fascinating to see how a bar will reflect on its identity, customer profile, and relationships within its community to create these ties. As just one example, Last Rites has a super fun way to create connections with its customers. The Rum Club. So the one thing that you guys do here is maybe a bit unique. I don't know how many people do rum clubs, but you guys have a rum program here that people can join. What is that about? Yeah, absolutely. We have a very wide selection of rums. So we offer a chance to join our rum club, which is essentially drinking your way through the many offerings that we have and exploring like the different regionalities of rum and all of that. And then if you complete it, we offer you 10% off on certain days, basically. And it's also like a little badge for you. And you get like a little private tasting yeah. of some rum you that get you can't a, get in the United yes. States. You, we, we open up our, our, our we rum stash. We have some Havana Club from mm. Cuba that we open up. For Amazing. You. Yeah. What does it take to join? Nothing. Nothing? Just you a just signature? Come up and ask and give us a signature on a card and we will give it to you and start stamping you. What does it cost to join? Nothing. The price of admission. You just come inside and yeah. you hang out. But you pay for the rums, though. Oh, you, oh yeah. Okay, okay. Yes. Just want to make sure. I know yes. soup kitchen. <laughs> you have to pay for the rum. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. To everyone listening out there, uh, sorry, but you have to pay for the rum. And that's the story behind Last Rites. Again, if you want to visit Last Rites, they're located at 14th and Church in San Francisco's DeBose Triangle. They're now fully open Tuesday through Sunday, starting at 6 p.m. I'm sure Justin, Tommy, Colin, and the rest of the crew would love to see you pay them a visit and let them know you heard about them through this podcast. That's it for this episode of The Muddler. On the next episode, we head to Lower Knob Hill to chat with Jamal, the owner of Peacekeeper. The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Notalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themudlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themudlerpodcast. <laughs>